Hello everyone and welcome to Econoday Unplugged, our weekly look at some of the more important issues impacting global financial markets. It's Tuesday 10th of April 2018. I'm Jeremy Hawkins here in London and as ever across the pond is our US expert Mark Pender. Now I'd like to talk a little bit about what's gone wrong in the European goods producing sector. But before we go there, I know Mark is becoming stressed about US capacity. So Mark, <laughs> what seems to be the problem over there? Well, it's not as stressful as um, some of the indicators uh, uh, would point to. We had producer prices this morning. This is uh, April 10th, uh, Tuesday, April 10th. And they were a little bit uh, above expectations, actually uh, two-tenths above expecta uh, expectations at a 0.3% gain for March. Uh, and there were signs of uh, of stress for steel and uh, for steel prices. And this follows. This is the first reading on the tariff uh, situation uh, imposed by the administration in March. And it did follow the anecdotal reports, which I'll be referring to in a moment, uh, that there were price dislocations. Not severe, but they were price uh, elevated prices for steel products. Um, and that contributed a little bit, but really, if you look at the whole picture for producer prices, uh, they're right about the 3% uh, annual rate. And that is actually just a little bit lower than where it was at the end of last year. That um, is moving forward on a month-to-month -month, uh, basis. A, a little, uh, if you look at the, the columns and the different graphs and monthly graphs, you see a little bit, a little bit more clumps you know, building, but it's very... Uh, gradual, and it's not going to be turning up the heat on the Federal Reserve to uh, increase their uh, rate hikes. But um, there are still some, back to these anecdotal reports, there are definitely signs in these reports, and these are small sample reports among people in business. And uh, one of the interesting things that these reports do is they measure delivery times. Now, this is invisible in the government data, um, but uh, this is uh, a, a consistent measure among these small samples. And uh, they're reporting uh, increasing uh, delivery times. In fact, the uh, ISM, which is the most prominent of all of these reports, uh, whether it's their uh, manufacturing or their non-manufacturing uh, samples, and both of those samples are showing uh, really the most uh, delays, uh, lengthening delivery times um, since the height of the last expansion in 2004 and 2005. And along with these, they're reporting unusually high uh, increases in raw material costs. So it's taking longer to um, ship things. And it's raising the and part of this building pressure is um, reflected in input costs. And again, some of this is going to be uh, due to the steel and aluminum. But as far as the producer price report, it really didn't send any red signals today. And tomorrow we have consumer prices. And they're probably and they're one level more removed from the immediate impact of uh, of these stresses and so they're probably in, uh, not going to be much of a trouble and the consensus for the overall reading the econoday consensus is no change on a monthly basis with the core up 
0.2, even though we might see a little bit of, a pre- and, and for those in the stock market, we, we might see a little bit of pressure on the year-to-year rate on the core, maybe up three-tenths to 2.1%. That's the Econoday consensus. But that would be just probably a little bump higher uh, in a picture of kind of a flat picture. But And, and one last thing I want to uh, mention before turning back to you, uh, Jeremy, as you were talking about signs of cooling pressure in the goods uh, sector, um, in, 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 in the, in where you watch. Where uh-huh. I'm watching, I'm seeing a little bit of the opposite. Uh, I'm seeing definitely a pickup in um, factory orders, factory shipments. Um, even though, again, uh, we had um, in that mixed picture, I have to go back to that. And last week we had hourly uh, 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 rates in the factory sector, and they went down. Uh, in March, which doesn't point to much industrial production heat in uh, next week's industrial production report. But in any case, I think the story here for the factory sector is one of of rising uh, greater rates of growth. And now I'll pass it to you. Okay, a couple of questions on that. Um, okay. So you're talking about you know, increasing uh, vendor times, and I must yeah. say that's something which has also been seen over here in, in parts of Europe anyway. Um, have they though been associated with you know, high levels of capacity utilization? One well, and two. If I can just follow on from that, sure. is there a level from my old days when I used to look more at the states? I seem to recall the Fed used to have some idea of you know what was you know, the natural level of capacity utilization in the states. Is that still huh. true? And are we anywhere near that now? I don't. I I can't give you a number for their uh, capacity utilization. Uh, uh, what would be considered neutral, but I can tell you that the that the graphs are pretty flat. Uh, the uh, the capacity, um, the industrial, the Federal Reserve's industrial production measure. Um, which measures volume. And it's a separate measure done by the Federal Reserve. It's not done by the Census Department. Uh, and, and it's, so it's, it's its own measure. And that has been lagging for the most part in the, manufacture, the manufacturing component, has been lagging um, the uh, comparative numbers uh, elsewhere in the government. So um, it really should be no surprise that those, uh, that those rates are, are flat. Uh, and um, are kind of an outlier, even though they, they have responded this year. They have been responding this year, which, which is part of the reason I say uh, the factory sector here is probably accelerating because we are seeing a little a bit more life now in, in those readings. But you had an interesting question about delivery times. You know, I went back. It's funny you should mention that. I went back and I looked very uh, at the historical record of uh, delivery times. Now I'm using the, Phil- the uh, Philadelphia Fed, the Philly Fed's uh, report, uh-huh. where, uh, which is very closely watched and uh, which has also been showing pressure. Um, and there was a spike in both of these. Record spikes occurred in the early 80s, interestingly enough. Uh, and this is a time when GDP was like at 8% or something like that. It was really, really very strong. In fact, a lot of these readings we're getting now, like consumer confidence, really go back 
to the last time we saw anything like this was when GDP was in this in this rare zone in the early 80s um, after the initial uh, Republican tax cuts and things really stimulated the economy at that time. Uh, and there was, at that time, we were getting 2% uh, monthly growth rates, <coughs> excuse me, now and then in the manufacturing uh, component. And now we're lucky to get 0.2, really. So uh, we haven't seen that, but in the past, there has been uh, a correlation with, with the, these anecdotal reports of delivery times and actual capacity stress. Okay, interesting. Um, okay, as you mentioned, it's a slightly different story over here. And I think it's, it's well worth touching on what's going on in the European goods producing sector because everyone's been talking up Eurozone growth uh, for this year, certainly towards the back end of last year anyway. And if anything, it's been rather disappointing. Now, it's important because bear in mind that manufacturing in the Eurozone in particular has been punching well above its weight for some time now. In fact, it's really been the engine driving the Euro Eurozone upswing in recent quarters. Um, just you know, without quoting too many numbers, I mean, quarterly industrial production growth for the Eurozone, straightforward quarter on quarter. There's 1.4% in the third quarter of last year, 1.5% in the fourth quarter. And that effectively means that it accounted for almost half of the entire increase in Eurozone GDP over the second half of 2017. And that's despite the fact that the share of industrial production Eurozone GDP is only about 20%. Now, we know that January industrial production in the Eurozone fell 1% on the month, and that's its worst performance in more than a year. We also know since then that uh, German industrial production in February was down a further 1.5% on the month, and that's its third consecutive decline, and indeed its fifth in the last six months. France was up 1.2%. But that only dented January's 1.8% nosedive. Initially, also saw an unexpected fall in February. That was down 0.5% as well. So we'll get the full Eurozone industrial production figures on Thursday for February. They're looking increasingly soft. Now, uh, the problem in trying to interpret all this is, and I'll be interesting once I finish this little bit to go back to you about implications for your side, whether in the Europe, particularly um, continental Europe in February, it was horrible. Um, there was a ton of snow and it quite clearly had a significant impact upon economic activity. So significantly, when you look at the breakdown of these industrial production reports um, in Germany, for example, all the major sectors, so consumer, basics, intermediates, capital, they all saw falls in output. However, energy saw a 4% rise. These are month-on-month -month figures. In France, energy and extracted goods was up a whopping 11.5%. In Italy, it sealed, it, again, it was the only subsector with industrial production to gain ground. So clearly, it was the exceptionally cold weather and the snow which helped to boost energy production. And at the same time, the, the, the opposite of that will have been to depress output elsewhere across the region. So the difficult you know, bit at the moment is trying to fathom out exactly what the underlying state of industrial production is in the eurozone jeremy, uh, jeremy so yeah. are you saying that uh weather affected the production of energy uh they increased it, the the actual extraction of energy products it it did i mean it goes through quite quickly but in terms of you know, as actually measured energy output uh so uh, right across the region and we don't have the full figures yet but i expect it's uh -huh. going to be up some around about five percent and it's simply due to the demand for you know, additional gas, electricity, et cetera, et cetera, due to the cold. So is this utility output or is this, this is, the mining this output? Is, 
It's a combi well, the figures we have over here is a combination of both, but it's primarily, I suspect, going to reflect you know, utilities output. But anyway, what it does mean, of course, is that you know, trying to peer through the gloom here, it, it is perfectly apparent that we're going to see a big slowdown in first quarter industrial production for the eurozone, which necessarily is going to weigh on overall GDP growth. The real question mark now is, though, how much of a rebound, assuming we do see a rebound, is right. going to happen in March? Because if we don't get one in March, then some of these GDP numbers, I think, for the eurozone, particularly at a national level, are, come, are going to come as a big surprise to you know, all these folks who have been talking growth up. Well, so they're, they're with I just, sorry, just just to follow yeah. on from that, where we started off at the beginning of this. Um, so it looks as if from the likes of our PMIs, where in the same as you're talking about increasing, you know, delays for, for vendor performance, some of that has been due to the bad weather. Has that had any impact on the times your side of the pond? Well, it's the question really with, is not only the weather, it's the seasonal adjustments for the weather. And if you've had an unusually heavy uh, winter, they're not going to be subtracting enough from the month, which is going to create a, a dislocation um, in the uh, greater increases in seasonally adjusted numbers, like you were saying in the uh, in the subsequent quarters. We had a heavy winter. I'm not sure if it's a, a record breaker. Um, certainly, the winter is always a little bit more difficult time. Uh, you don't want to make too many generalizations. Um, I think it probably maybe is a, a minor negative factor because maybe it is a little bit more extreme than usual. But, you know, I have a question, Jeremy. Now, those PMIs in Europe are very, very popular. And those factory PMIs, had they been signaling the weakness in the first quarter that the government data ended up with? Well, we don't yet have the full first quarter data, of course. We, we, we haven't even got we haven't got whole Eurozone February industrial production yet, but it's they've certainly signaled a significant deceleration during the quarter. January was booming, if you take the PMIs at face value over here. We saw close to record numbers for a number of countries for the manufacturing sector, but February then saw a decline, and that was compounded in March by another decline. Um, so the actual hard data you know, lagged behind by some way, but certainly if we believe the PMIs, Although first quarter may look half respectable, it's going to be heavily front-end loaded into January. And moving into the second quarter, it's going to be working off a soft March. So mm. what we could see even would be a you know, half-decent first quarter, but then you know, a soggy second quarter. And mm. of course, at a time when the ECB is still trying to get inflation up towards its 2% mark, the last thing it needs is slowing growth. Yeah. Well, I would just like to add uh, add one thing about the factory sector here, uh, and that's employment. Um, the even though the things like the ISM, things like the Philly Fed and the Empire State Fed, uh, uh, which are these uh, small sample reports, have been for the last year, and and there's a confidence relation into these reports because they're not empirically very uh, precise, uh, whether as as a respondent or as the way the numbers are, are tracked um, in the methodology. So, but what you do see is improvement and very significant improvement in factory payrolls. So that is a very, very tangible um, uh, uh, increase uh, in pace. And I just, on that score, and ultimately when you get to capacity stress, that stress will be evident when you can't find people to employ. No more hands and feet to get into the factory. There have been anecdotal reports, in, uh, 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 isolated complaints. Sometimes they appear in things like the Beige Book, the Federal Reserve's Beige Book, of manufacturers being unable 
to find employees and and therefore have been unable to keep up shipments have unable and and so there is a, a capacity stress and on Friday we get the jolts report um, which uh, includes job openings and hirings and job openings have been spiking uh, over to 6.1 million openings hirings by this count are way down like 5.4 million but uh, anyway there's 6.1 million jobs out here now this is all jobs and not just factory jobs and there's about 7 million people looking for work so there's a lot of jobs here, uh, but are they uh, are, are they being are employers being able to fill them with qualified people? And when if they can't, then we're going to start. They're going to have to pull them from other employers, which will mean higher wages, which will All be right. the beginning of the end for the inflation hawks. So, but this is like I said, Jeremy. This is not quite immediate risk. This is perhaps uh, a, a risk for the, uh, you know, the medium term, whatever that is, several months ahead, maybe six months ahead. Okay, good stuff. Well, I guess that's probably enough stress for everyone today. Um, <laughs> so let's wrap it up there. On behalf of Mark and myself, thanks very much for listening. Happy trading, and we look forward to doing it again next week.